So Hope Church has a tagline, you see it on our van, and it basically says, helping people connect with God. And to go a little further than that, we would say helping people connect with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and to grow in the relationship with Him. To me, that's the essence of what we're trying to do here. It's trying to meet people wherever they are spiritually, whether they're seeking, uh, whether they're, they know Jesus, whether they've been w- w- walking with Jesus for a long time. We want to join them and help them on whatever journey they're in, on with Jesus and help them take the next step, whatever that might be. So that being said, what we, we've tried to do in the last year or so is try to kind of summarize that so you could think about where am I on my journey with Jesus? And so we came up, we didn't, it's not original with us, but we uh, decided that uh, three words help us with that idea. And the first, it's believe, belong, become. And so let me just talk about those three words just for a minute. Believing is that there's a point in my life where I realize that I need help. I need a savior and I need, uh, I'm a sinner and without Jesus in my life, I'm lost, I'm dead, I'm gone. You know, there's no hope. And so we call that believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting him, giving our, our life to him as he gave his life to us. Uh, so was, we, sometimes we say, it's as simple as saying, we've been driving our lives and we give up the steering wheel of our lives and we give our lives over to Jesus and we allow him to drive our lives. And, you know, it's as simple as something like that. And so it's not just believing that he exists. It's not just trying to live a good life or going to church. It's about understanding you're a sinner and you need a savior. And so the first step of that is to believe. And it's more than just believing again that Jesus exists because James says the devils believe and they're not on his team, right? <clears throat> so believing means following it means trusting. And so if you're here this weekend or if you're listening online or whatever campus you may be on, uh, where would you say you are? Do you, you think you've taken that step where you are believing on Jesus Christ? Is he your, your, your hope of salvation and hope of forgiveness? So that's the first uh, thing, the first picture. And so you may be here and you say, you know, I have done that. Uh, you may be listening and say, yes, I, I trusted Jesus. He gave his life to me. I gave his, my life to him. And that's settled. But you say, well, what's the, what's the, what would be the next step? And, and really, the next step is belonging. And so you really can't belong in, a, in just an assembly on the weekend. If you, you are part of a church community on the weekend, that's great. But you really don't belong because... You kind of might say hi to the people around you, and you might know a few people and say hi, might have a conversation. But what the New Testament talks about as far as belonging is this idea that we bear one another's burdens, we love one another, we forgive one another, we pray for one another. And you know, there's about 30 of those in the New Testament. You really can't carry those out unless you're kind of in a group of people uh, a smaller group of people where you're able to get to know them, they're able to get to know you, and uh, you're able to bear their burdens, pray for them, love them, care for them, uh, forgive them, all those different things that the New Testament talks about. So that's that idea of belonging. And I think some people say, well, all I need is Jesus. Well, yeah, you need Jesus, but you also need others because here's, here's the benefit of having others in your life. There are people in your life that can look at your life and when you draw, draw in into a closer relationship with others, other believers, other followers of Jesus, 
Here's what will happen. They will help you grow for, for a number of reasons. Number one, they'll have a sh- you'll have a shared experience. They'll be able to say, uh, you're going through a difficult time. And they'll say, oh, let me, let's, let me, let's, let's talk because I went through that two years ago. And you find that you, you learn from them, you grow from them, you get hope from them, you get help from them. We do it all the time, don't we? You know, you get into a jam or you're not really sure what to do. You call your parents, you have a neighbor, you have a friend, and you do that. Well, this is a spiritual answer to that where you have somebody that you can talk to about things that are going on in your life that you need spiritual wisdom for. So that's one thing. Another one is sometimes we we go through health issues or we go through loss issues in our families. And it's nice to know that you have people who care about you and Say, hey, how's your mom doing? How, how, how did that, how did that, you know, how did, uh, how did that interview go or whatever? And they're praying for you and they're, they're asking how you're doing. When you get sick, you, uh, they, they visit you in the hospital and they, they know you don't look your best and they're, they're okay with that because they love you for who you are. And they may bring you meals. And, and see, that's why we want to plug people, as many people as possible, into life groups. Because in a small group of 8 to 12 people, you act, actually carry out those one another statements. So there we go. We have believe, belong, and then become. And that has this idea that we'll never arrive, right? It, it's kind of a journey. It's, it's kind of we're always walking this journey. And, and until we, we you know, step, take our last step on this earth, breathe our last breath on this earth, we're on that journey with Jesus. And it's a kind of a, you know, we look back and we say, wow, what a wild, what a wild journey it's been. And there's a couple of things that, that characterize that journey. Jesus said, very interesting, he invited his disciples on a journey. You remember what Jesus said to his disciples, his apostles? He said, come, follow me, right? So it's this journey that they're on. And they didn't know what they were signed up for. You know, they're following Jesus around for about three years and they had no idea what it was going to be like. And even when Jesus ascended into heaven, they still were on a journey with him. They were still walking with him. Here on earth, they were walking with him. But he had influenced them. He had changed them. They had a small group. They had a life group together. And, and now that life group, that, that small group was, was going out and they were taking the gospel to the whole world. So there's a couple of things that are characterized in in uh, becoming more like Jesus. And really it affects where the rubber meets the road in our lives. It affects our money. What do we do with your money? Jesus talked a lot about money. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So hopefully, how you deal with money, how you view money is different today than it was a year ago. If you were a follower of Jesus a year ago and you thought everything that you had, everything you owned was yours, now hopefully maybe you realize, no, you're just a, you're just a manager. You're just a caretaker. And one day God's going to call you to give an account for what you have. And so that's spiritual growth, right? That's becoming more like Jesus. Um, you have time. We all have time. And how do we use our time? How do we serve? How do we serve his kingdom? Because that's why we're here. We're subjects of his kingdom. It's not, it's not our life. It's his life. We're living for him. That's the goal, right? And essentially, it doesn't matter what work you do. In a sense, hopefully you're doing something that's fulfilling and something that God, is God-ordained, and that's the best part. And, and it doesn't have to be full-time ministry, uh, serving in a church or as a missionary. Because you know what? God doesn't care. God just wants you to love Him and to serve Him wherever you are. 
And, 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 and nobody gets a higher grade because they serve in a different area or more, is more important. In God's eyes, and I believe this is true, the greatest people in heaven will be people you never heard of. But they're faithfully serving. They're giving their time. They're giving their talent. And they're giving their treasure to God. They're using their lives for God. And so if we talk about those three words, and we just kind of summarize, where do you think you're at? Have you crossed that, that, that first bridge of believing? Have you trusted Jesus? Have you, have you taken a step to belong to the church, a church body, a fellowship? And more importantly, maybe a, a life group, because that's really where that life happens together there in life groups. And then are you serving? You know, are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you using your gifts? Are you using your, your time, your talent, and your, your treasure, your money for the kingdom of God? Uh, that's really a good way to measure where you're at. And so hopefully this will kind of summarize. Well, you, you'll be hearing us talk about believing, belonging, becoming. Believing, belonging, becoming. And the idea there is we want to challenge you wherever you're at. You'll take that next step. Maybe you're at a step where you believe, but you haven't really felt like you belong. Well, the step is really, the, we're trying to make it as easy as possible, get part of a life group. It may be that you're, you're part of a life group, but now you, you need to take that step of serving. You need to take that step of really stepping out in faith and using your gifts, using your, you know, serving maybe in the church or in the community somewhere, uh, maybe, you, you know, being more uh, intentional with your giving and what you're going to do with your, your money or, uh, you know, uh, your, t- your time, using your time and saying, God, I want to use, I want to s- cordon off a time, a period of time where I just serve you and that's all I want to do. Uh, you know, so however, you know, you would use this, help this to be kind of a way to kind of think you through where am I at? Because a Christian life isn't a stagnant thing. It's a growing thing. We should be growing. We should be on this journey that continues on. So I hope that'll help you understand. By the way, the message we're going to talk about this weekend is about becoming. What does it mean to become more like Jesus Christ? So that's where we're going this weekend. So uh, if you want to, um, this would be a great time for you just to get your Bibles and let's turn to his word. Isaiah chapter 50. And I'm going to start reading to verse 4. Isaiah 50 verse 4. The Sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me in morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I have offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from the mocking and spitting because the Sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Who among them, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon their God. But now all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go walk in the the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. 
You will lie down in torment. So what is this talking about, right? You read through this and you go, whoa. And again, Isaiah is a challenging book to go through. And we're going through the last chapters of Isaiah. And we're talking about this, this, this mysterious person who is, is, is uh, he's the, you know, this Messiah person. And we, we, we've been looking at him because sometimes he looks like a king, but sometimes he looks like this suffering servant. And uh, certainly we see the suffering servant part. And uh, we, I personally, and, and many people do, we look at this passage and we say there, that Isaiah is, is talking about this coming Messiah. We believe that coming Messiah to be Jesus. And so when we look at this passage, we see Jesus. And we'll talk more about how that is. But there are characteristics in, in this passage um, of what it means to be a servant of the Lord. What does it mean to be a servant of the Lord? I think most of us would say, one of my goals as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a servant of the Lord. So what are the characteristics of the servant of the Lord? There's a number of them. Let me, let me just give you a few of them here. First, a servant of the Lord demonstrates the character of God. Notice what it said in the text. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word <coughs> that sustains the weary. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting because the sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. So there's a couple of characteristics, and I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but I want to hit on it again. A servant of the Lord demonstrates a, a patient gentleness. He is, uh, he'll be gentle with you. He'll, and we, you know, the, the passage we looked at uh, that uh, we looked at a couple of weeks ago, he says, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not uh, blow out. And so there's, there's, this, there's this sensitivity. There's this gentleness. So a servant of the Lord uh, is like that. They're, they're like a, a wonderful counselor. Um, anyone who serves God, who, uh, who is a great, uh, they will be great with the weary. They will be great with the people who are broken and bruised. Uh, it's, it's sometimes... And Christians can be this way. We can be harsh with people who are broken and bruised. And we can say, well, it's your own fault. You, 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 should, you should just do better. Uh, and we can be harsh with them. But there is a patient gentleness that uh, the servant of the Lord has. Secondly, the servant of the Lord demonstrates the strength of conviction. His, ide- his identity is so rooted in God that you can't crush him through criticism, through opposition, through vilification. Uh, he basically says, I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care. Nothing turns me back. And it, it, the idea there is he, he set himself like flint. If you know anything about flint, flint's very hard. And, and the idea there is that they, they have a backbone. They have a backbone. They have a strength of conviction. And uh, so we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And we talked about how some of us err towards the sides of we have a backbone and we're bold and we're brash. And we're willing to tell people what we think. But sometimes we lose the tenderness. We lose the sensitivity. We lose the compassion, right? And then others are on the other side. And they're, they're quiet. And they're kind of, you know, a little bit uh, more, uh, maybe personality-wise, they tend to be more um, introverted. But they, they don't speak up. And they're, they're, they tend to be more sensitive in that. And, and, but yet they don't. There are times when they should speak up. They should 
shout out. They should say, that's wrong, and stand up. And, and they don't, right? And so we talked about that, and we said, you know, we can blame our temperament. We say, well, that's just the way I am. You know, I'm, I'm just loud, I'm, I'm brass, I'm, I shout, I, you know, I, I get angry, I, that's, I blow up, that's just the way I am. Uh, others say, you know, well, I'm just kind of quiet, and I'm kind of shy, and, I'm, and that, that's just the way I am. But Scripture won't let you do that. Scripture basically says that um, you, you need to step up and, and your temperament. With, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a servant of God, a servant of God, yes, you, you, you set yourself like a flint. You have a backbone. You have a conviction. And sometimes you do speak up. And <laughs> Sometimes, though, you know when to be quiet and listen, right? I think that's one of the, the when you're bold and brash and you, set your, you're, you don't have a problem setting yourself, your conviction, you have it. But sometimes you're not good at being quiet and listening and hearing another person's heart. On the other hand, a person who tends to be pretty docile, pretty laid back, pretty quiet, pretty composed, there are times when you need to set your, you need to have a backbone, you need to speak up, you need to have a voice, you need to shout it out. And so, you say, well, how do, how do I know? Well, here's why belonging is so important. When you belong and you have a friendship, and it's a friendship that's based around Jesus Christ, you can go to that friend and say, hey, you know, am I a little bit harsh with people? Have you noticed that? And, and they'll say, yeah, you are, man. You're really harsh. Uh, or they may say, you know, are there times where you think I should, you know, I'm not standing up and speaking, you know, and yeah, I kind of see that. Uh, but that, that's, a, that's a good thing. There's a time to remain silent, but there's also a time to speak up. So the, ser- the first characteristic of the servant of the Lord is that they are willing to, they are willing to demonstrate the, the, the character of God. Uh, secondly, the a servant of the Lord lives their life as a disciple of God. Notice what it says. He wakes me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen to the one being instructed, like the one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. So the word instructed here is very interesting. It, the word instructed almost is, a, is very similar to the word disciple. And so what he's saying here is, I am a disciple. When you think about a disciple, you think about somebody who's following somebody, right? You have a rabbi, and he has his disciples. You have a teacher, and they have their students. That's essentially what we're talking about. A disciple is willing to follow, even when it means <coughs> there can be pain and suffering. And so Jesus called his disciples. When you read the first part of the Gospels, you see him calling. You know, it goes by the sons of Zebedee. They're in the boat. He says, come, follow me. And they left their nets and they follow him. He calls Peter, you know, and all Matthew and all these different disciples come. And they begin to follow Jesus, right? And essentially that's what it means to be a servant of God. You are a follower. You're following him. And I think that's an important picture to have. A disciple is somebody who follows now, here's the interesting thing. The interesting thing is that we're told to follow and that following Jesus isn't necessarily going to turn out well for us. <laughs> Can I say that one more time? And you say, uh, you know, because I think we have this attitude and we have this cultural idea within evangelical Christianity that says, if you follow Jesus, things will turn out well for you. 
it will, it, it, there's no promise that things are going to turn out for you. Uh, if we look at the New Testament, when you follow Jesus, uh, if, if you look, it, it, you see that, well, just look at the apostles. Every one of the apostles ended up being executed. John was left on the Isle of Patmos, right? And so, so it didn't work out well for any of them. None of them, you know, just laid on their deathbed and said, okay, it's time for me to go. You know, they're being crucified. They're being killed. Bad things are happening. And I'm concerned because our culture, our pop culture, is, 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 has this attitude. And it's not biblical. But we have this attitude that we should never suffer. We should never go through difficult times. If you're a follower, a disciple of Jesus, you should never go through difficult times. But clearly from the passage in Isaiah, the servant basically says, a servant goes through difficult times. They get spit upon. They get their beard. They get mocked. They get made fun of. It happens. And sometimes they even get put to death. The early Christians suffered. The apostles crushed. The, the apostles suffered. So where do we get this idea? It's not in the New Testament. This idea is not in the New Testament that, that we should go through our lives and not endure suffering and pain. And, 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 and you know, I, so I was over in Mali about a month ago and uh, we helped to drill the well. But the other thing I did was I met with some pastors uh, that are in Mali, and some are in northern Mali, and some are southern part of Mali. And we were talking, and we we're going through stuff, and and I was, uh, we we're doing, the best part of that was when they just kind of asked questions, because then I could tell where they were at, and it was helpful. But one of the, one of the guys, uh, and he's in northern Mali, which is very, it's 95% uh, Islamic, and uh, there's a lot of radical Islam up there. It's very dangerous for Christians, especially uh, nationals or uh, the Americans. Came, we couldn't we couldn't even go up there. It wasn't safe to go up there. But he was uh, he's a very stoic guy. I mean, I watched him every day, and he's very stoic. He sat front row. And he was very stoic, taking notes, and uh, he just didn't seem like the kind of guy that was you know that told jokes, right? So he's talking, and I have this translator telling me what he's saying and all the guys all the pastors start laughing and I go what is he what what is he what is he what is he saying he, he said well he's saying and he and he, he said well he's kind of a serious guy and he's being very sarcastic and he's saying it, it was kind of like he was saying when I go I'm afraid when I go out to get firewood that I may never come back and the guys all laughed. They weren't laughing because they were. It was funny. They, they were kind of laughing because he was saying it kind of like as a joke, but it wasn't a joke. It was real. I mean, he was essentially saying it is so dangerous. I could go out and get firewood, and I won't come back. And and I thought about that. And I said, that's what the, that's what the psalmist. That's what Isaiah is saying here. That's what the servant of the Lord should expect. And, and you know what? We in America, we're, we just are, we're, we're, we're saved from all of that. We, we don't have that in our culture. We have freedom. We don't worry about those things. You know, we, we just don't worry about that. I mean, the most we worry about is 
gunmen running into buildings and shooting people. And the terrible tragedy that, that happened this last week in a mosque. And we should pray for those families and pray for the, just, the, the, just the devastation of all of that. But he, basically what he was saying was, this is dangerous. But I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing because it's dangerous. And, and I thought about that and I said, we don't get that in America. We just think that our lives, we shouldn't have any problems. We shouldn't have any issues. We shouldn't, we shouldn't struggle with anything. And when we do, we get angry with God. And I'm going, we're not reading the same Bible, I don't think. I don't think we're listening to the Word of God. So that brings us to the third point. And the third point is, a servant of the Lord submits to the Word of God. Notice it says, The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the Word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, my ear to listen like one being instructed. Now, this is really important. And I think this is where... I would suggest that some of you, maybe, you know, let's all of us think through this. How are we doing in this area? Because what a servant of the Lord does is the servant of the Lord gets instruction from God morning by morning. That means it's a regular thing. It's not once a week. It's not now and then. It's like daily. It's like eating. You know, Jesus said, my will is to do my father's word. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So there is this, this morning by morning, this, this taking in. And Jesus was a perfect example of that. When we see Jesus, he was absolutely immersed by the scriptures. By the age of 12, he's in the temple and he's teaching. And the religious leaders are all like, blown away by him. How does he know this stuff? And by the way, he did, he had to learn it all. It wasn't like, you know, it was like downloaded to him. Like he had, he had to learn, he had to grow, he had to mature. And, but he did, he, he learned it all and they marveled at him. I believe this was the secret of his power. If you look at the life of Jesus as it's recorded in the New Testament, you'll find that Jesus is constantly immersed in the Scriptures, uh, taking much-needed time with His Father. You'll see Him performing miracles, and then it says, very early in the morning, Jesus went out to be alone with God. If He needed that, how much more do we, right? Jesus quotes 24 Old Testament books, which are, the, which are the majority of the Old Testament. Ten times he makes the case for the divine inspiration of Scripture. Jesus takes the Word of God very serious. One time he makes... I want to give you a couple of examples because I want, to, I want you to understand how serious Jesus took the Word of God because I don't think we take the Word of God <laughs> nearly as serious as Jesus does. Let me give you an example. So... The first example is Matthew 22. We're just going to look at it for just a second. So the idea here is, the question is posed to Jesus. And they're basically trying to find this question that will make Jesus look ridiculous. That's really what they're looking for. So they want to find the question where Jesus goes, uh, 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 and he doesn't have an answer. Okay. So the, the question is, if a man is married to uh, a woman and then... He dies, and she remarries, and then he dies, and then 
she remarries a third time, and then he dies. When they get to heaven, who is married to who, right? That's the question they ask. So Jesus answers them and says this. Verse 29 of chapter 22. Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will not marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But, at, uh, but about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God has said? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now, there's something that you probably brought you a question, but it's the wrong question to ask. The question you're probably wondering is, what about marriage in heaven? That's probably the question you're wondering about. That's not the most important thing. You missed the most important thing that Jesus said. And it was a very slight thing, but it was very important. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What is Jesus using there? He's using, we're going to do a little grammar lesson. He's using the present tense, not the past tense. What he is saying is very important. He's saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're still alive. I'm the God of the living, not the God of the dead. He doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. He is using the present tense there. Present tense. So Jesus takes the word of God very seriously here. By using the present tense, he's making the point that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not dead, but they're alive. That he is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. And so that's a very small thing, but it's a very big thing. This is how serious Jesus takes the scriptures. Even the grammar is important. Even the tense is important. Let me give you another one. And uh, so the, the, the question here is, um, well, let me read it to you. This is uh, Matthew 19. Some Pharisees came to test him. Again, they're testing him. They asked him, is it, a law, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And then he says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they, no longer, they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, what's interesting here is it sounds like these religious leaders have bad marriages because <laughs> they're asking all these questions about their wives. You know, how do I get rid of her? Do I have to be married to her in heaven? I mean, it's just like, yeah, the, 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 this is the problem they're having. But notice what's, what he's doing. In verse 24, he says this, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become, become flesh, one flesh. So notice what Jesus is doing. He's attributing the words of Genesis 2.24 to God. He's attributing them to God. Now, it's interesting. He's saying that God said, for this reason, a man should, right? That's what he's saying in this passage in Matthew. Well, who wrote those words? Presumably, Moses wrote those words. All right. So, this is very interesting because what, he, what Jesus is assuming He's assuming that there is a human author, but there is a divine author. That Moses didn't just write words, he wrote God's words. 
right? Essentially, that's what you... So this is, this is very... This is just... I, want, I wanted to give you two very, you know... These are very small things, but they're, they're just assumed by Jesus. He assumes that the, the, the Old Testament is God's word and is authoritative and is inspired by God and written by God. Uh, over and over, when Jesus was tempted by the devil, what does he say? It is written. It is written. It is written. Right? So my question is, do we take Scripture as serious as Jesus? As a servant of God, do we take God's word as serious as Jesus did? When Jesus was on this earth, he absolutely took Scripture very serious. And, it's, and, the, and, the, and the writer of Isaiah, or Isaiah says this, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? You know, in our culture, it's relentlessly pounded into us that we have a right to decide what is right and wrong for us, and no one has the right to tell us what to do. Our culture pounds that into us from the time we're a little child till however old you are today. But if you're a servant of God, if you're a disciple of Jesus, there is only one final authority, and it ain't you. (laughs) It's not. So my question is this, how seriously are you taking his word? How seriously did you take it this week? Was it a morning by morning type of a thing where you allowed God to speak to you? Do you look at God's word and say, God, tell me what your will is for my life today. Guide me, direct me. When God brings something to mind in your life that it, that so, so here's my question. What is it that God is telling you to do and you're not? Or what is God telling you to stop doing and you haven't stopped? What is it that you're, 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 you're trying to justify or you're putting it off? By the way, when you just try to justify it or try to put it off, all you're doing is disobeying and you're in rebellion to God and his word. That's all that's going on there. My point is this, if Jesus took the word of God and he was a servant of the Lord and he took the word of God so seriously that he realized that he had to have a morning by morning by morning. And by the way, you don't have to do it in the morning, okay? But there needs to be a daily interaction with the word of God where you allow the word of God to speak to your heart and to show you what is right and what is wrong and how you need to get right and how you need to stay right. And, 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 and all these things, have you, are you taking it seriously? And when the word of God comes and says, you need to stop it, do you, do you debate with God and say, well, you know, I, or when, when he says, you need to start, you go, well, someday I will. No, today, right now. You may be here and you say, well, someday I'm going to give my life to Jesus. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month. Today, right? And so my question is, how serious? Are you as serious as Jesus about the word of God? Here's the fourth one. A servant of the Lord obeys the mission of God. Notice he says here, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting because the sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. I think this is probably the greatest thing that a servant can give his very life, right? He gives obedience. He's willing to be mocked and beaten and have his beard pulled. The spitting. But 
Imagine this, the Lord of the universe, the one who created it all, gave his body and ultimately gave his life for us on the cross. So I want to show you the fulfillment of this prophetic passage, the verses I just read. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. It says this. Soldiers were leading, were on their way, they were up, excuse me, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus, leading the way, and the disciples were astonished. While those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and he told them what was going to happen to him. So picture this. Jesus is taking his disciples about going into Jerusalem. And he's preparing them ahead of time. He's telling them. Because this wasn't the surprise to Jesus. He knew this was going to happen. So he's telling them. He says, here's what's going to happen. Just so you know. You need to be prepared. Because it's not going to work out the way you think. This isn't going to be good. Good. And he says this, we're going to go up to Jerusalem. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man, that's the name that Jesus loved to take. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit upon him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. <laughs> I don't think they, they heard him. I don't think they understood him, right? Because what are they doing when, when Jesus, when all this starts to happen, they don't go, oh, well, there it is. <laughs> Peter gets a sword and tries to take things into his own hands, right? And then they all abandon him. And then on the third day, where are they? They're, they're cowering. They're afraid. And the women come and say, hey, we got some strange news. The, the tomb is empty. What? Yeah, he said it. He fulfilled what Isaiah said about the, the, the first coming of this messianic figure. You see, it's Jesus' sacrifice. And, and this is the important thing. Because I can tell you that you, you should, you know, you, your, your, your temperament shouldn't keep you from being the person that God wants you to be. That the Spirit of God should change you and you should become, if you're bold and brash, you should become more a better listener and more sensitive to the needs of the people around you and if you're you're quiet and shy you should you should get a backbone you should set your 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 life to like a flint and you should step up or that the word of god should should take a primary place in your life and you should treat it seriously and when it tells you there's something going on in your life you're going to deal with it you're not going to put it off you're not going to make excuses for it you're going to you're going to do something about it, right? Uh, I can tell you all that, but here's what fans the flame. What fans the flame in all this is you realize that the one who created the heavens and earth, created, the, created you in his image, came to this earth, lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died, and gave himself on the cross. He absolutely knew what he was walking into. He told his disciples, this is what's going to happen to me. But I did it for you. And when we begin to think about what he did for us, we understand what a servant of God is. That not only is he willing to obey God's word, even if it's hard, even if it doesn't work out for him, he does it because of his love for his Father in heaven. For us. And that should move your heart. You see, if Jesus sacrificed, it fans the flame of our furnace. When you don't feel like, like submitting, 
We look to the cross and we remember he submitted to the point of death. What, are we, what am I talking about? When we're tempted, we remember the cross and we remember it was our sins that put him there. How could we do this to him after all he's done for us? You see, this is where our heart comes in because we realize that because he became a servant to us, the master became a servant to us and he calls us as his followers to be his servants. And we have the ultimate example of our master servant when he went to the cross. And we can't look at the cross and be the same people. It should break our heart over and over and over. That's, I think, what Paul is saying when he says, I want you to understand the love of God. How tall and how low and how wide and how deep. I just, I want you to begin to understand how much love he has for you. Because when you allow that to break your heart, being a servant is The motivation is absolutely there. So I don't know what the Holy Spirit is going to tell you to take from this week. But I pray that the Spirit of God would give you something. Maybe it's something that has to change in your life. About your temperament. Or about your view of the Word of God. Maybe you've kind of had a low view of Scripture and you need to kind of just say, Man, I got to get that corrected. I got to start. Maybe you just need some motivation. You need to just focus on the cross and just understand how much and how far he would go for you, for me. Uh, And that'll break your heart. And that'll begin to do some work. And, And it's one of those things that when you begin to meditate on the cross and the resurrection and all that goes on in that passion of of Jesus, you begin to think, I don't think there's anything that he could ever ask me to do that's too hard after what he's done for me. Amen? Let's pray. So, Father, we've heard your word, but have we heard your word? May we be not just listeners of your word, may we be doers of your word. May the Spirit of God take the word of God directly to our hearts, and may we obey the word of God. May we change because we've interacted with your word. May we become better servants of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.